Uh, our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be reading from chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles if you brought one from home. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. And if you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the Beloved. And with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, will the meditation of all of our hearts and the words of my lips be pleasing unto you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So a young family was sitting down for dinner, and the mom looked over at her two-year-old daughter, who was ignoring her food. Now, this is not a tale of our house ever. Ignoring her food, and she asked, Carrie, why are you not eating? The two-year-old Carrie replied, I can't eat, Mom. God told me not to eat. Not that that theft ever comes from my daughter. And her mother said, God would not tell you not to eat your food. Carrie looked up at the ceiling for a minute, then looked at her mom and said, okay, maybe it wasn't God, maybe it was Moses. (laughs) This morning, the gospel that we just read is an intersection of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and Moses and Elijah and Jesus on a mountaintop. So Peter, James, and John were on the mountain of transfiguration. And they witnessed Jesus' majesty with their own eyes. The transfiguration took place six days after Peter made the great confession of faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It happened six days after Jesus confided in his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem to be killed and raised on the third day. Now, this experience, the transfiguration, is linked with the beginning of Lent. And it happens on the way to the cross. And after this, the pace quickens. It happened six days after Peter took hold of Jesus and scolded Jesus, saying, This won't happen to you. It happened six days after Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stone that can make me stumble. 
For you are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. This happened six days after Jesus turned to all the disciples to tell them that if they wanted to follow him, they had to deny themselves, take up their cross. He told them that in trying to save their lives, they would lose their lives. But in losing their lives for Christ, they would find life itself. Six days later. The moment of transfiguration is on one hand the affirmation of Jesus' divinity. And on the other hand, it begins to give the disciples eyes to see God's light and the chaos to come. Death, loss, fear, and resurrection. The challenge to the disciples is to live in a world without Jesus' bodily presence. The only kind of mountaintop experience worth having is the one that leads us down into the valley of service. I've had a lot of mountaintop experiences in my life, most of which were on mission trips, which were sometimes outside of my comfort zone. From the funny to the exceptional They were all spiritual markers for me along the journey that leads me closer to the heart of Christ. From working to build a wheelchair ramp for someone that's not been out of their house because they had no way out of their house. To resealing ten roofs in West Virginia or shingling a house in Tampa. To bending rebar, hauling concrete and helping lead Vacation Bible School in Costa Rica All of these have been mountaintop experiences for me. And has all been about leading me into the valley of service in other places. Not just on mission trips, but in the ordinary, everyday life. A real mountaintop experience, friends, changes a person. It opens the eyes, helps us to see the world as God sees it. And what God sees is a world in need. A lost, hurt, and broken world. And for Peter, James, and John, this mountaintop experience has to shape and change how they see others and live out their faith in the valley. They wanted to stay, remember? This transfiguration confirms Jesus' identity as the glorious Son, the Messiah. For the disciples who were present, it is also a sign of new life that awaits Jesus, the faithful one, beyond the cross, and signals new life for Jesus' followers as well. God prepares people, and the transcendent encounters of our lives to endure the world below in the valley, the world of the cross, the world that has the ability to break us, and yet is never beyond God's redemption. These encounters happen on mountaintops with blinding lights for some. For most, they happen in the ordinary moments. Classrooms, boardrooms, soup kitchens. Any place, any place where we make a space for the holy to be present. These experiences on the mountaintop can, 
at least in some small way, relate to what the disciples experienced on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is where they were given assurance of their faith. This is where they saw Jesus for who he really is. This is where they received their divine calling. And this is where they wanted to stay. Who can blame Peter for saying, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three dwellings. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. We can hang out here forever. Have you ever felt that way? Been having a mountaintop experience and not wanting to leave? Maybe it was that resurrection. Maybe it was on a mission trip. Maybe it was during the all-day thing. Or you fill in the blank. Or you had that experience where you just didn't want it to end. Where did you experience this? Now, not of all of us experience the same things. We all experience the mountaintop differently, and sometimes in different places. So what experiences have you had with Jesus Christ at church, in school, at work, in helping the needy? Yes, the mountaintop is an amazing place to be, and we all want to stay there. We want to stay there. Peter wanted to stay there. But if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to follow Jesus, we must follow Jesus down the mountain and into the valley. God prepares us in our mountaintop experiences to endure the valley below us. These encounters can happen with a blinding light or in the ordinary moments of our lives. Because God is always with us. Some people have said the mountain was the way for God to prepare a human band of companions for the sacred journey, to offer something to hold on to when they descended into the crushing reality of the world below. Now, as soon as Jesus and these three disciples come down from this amazing experience, down from the mountaintop, they come across a crowd of people. And this crowd is gathered around a man and a son. And the man kneels before Jesus, begging Jesus to heal his son who is suffering from epilepsy. A few verses later, Jesus tells his disciples again that he is about to be delivered over into human hands. But he will be raised on the third day. And then we're told that the disciples were heartbroken. On the mountaintop, Jesus shone like the sun. He spoke with Moses and Elijah. But in the valley is where Jesus continued his ministry. The valley is where Jesus was mocked, arrested, and crucified. But friends, it was also in the valley where Jesus was raised to life. For not even the evil and misery of the valley can keep the Son of God from rising from the dead. And not even, in, not even the evil and misery of the valley can keep those of us who follow Jesus Christ from rising up when we get knocked down. Living in the kingdom every day and ministering to those that are hurting, those that are broken, and those that are lost. 
Not even the valley can stop us from having mountaintop experiences with Jesus every day. So what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration? The light of Jesus shined on his disciples and God told them and us, listen to him. Listen to him. When we do this, living in the light, we can can and will shine like stars as a bright light that can help bring hope to a darkened world. Now, in that thought, to help bring light and hope to a darkened world, my family, Jenny, my kids, and myself, have been called to do something. We've done this for three years. And I want to read you a little bit about this. Emily, I'm sorry, I'm using my smartphone. Emily is the pastor's wife from Kentucky. Grew up steeped in Southern culture, like most of us are. Sweet tea, Southern hospitality, and a wardrobe of monogrammed outfits and smocks. And church. Lots of church. It's a Southern thing, isn't it? Emily has a friend, Natalie. Natalie and her husband decided to adopt a child from Ethiopia. And as Emily watched her friend go through the process of adoption, she became aware of the plight of the orphan, how hard it was for those that are orphaned. And a seed of change had been planted. She slowly became aware of the complexity of the orphan crisis. Emily, later, Emily learned of a young 10-year-old girl Sydney, 10 years old, who was selling T-shirts to feed and care for orphan children in Ghana, Africa. God had broken Sydney's heart for the orphan. And with the support of her family, she had ambitiously created the nonprofit organization called Feeding the Orphan at 10 years old. Intense desire for Sydney to care for the orphan children Many of them were her same age or younger. They were moved by such a young girl and her bravery in doing this. If you fast forward to the spring of 2011, Emily, the pastor's wife, was on her smartphone shopping for Easter attire putting the Easter ensemble together, elaborate dresses for her two girls, new shoes, matching hair bows. Emily would need stuff. Her husband, who was the pastor, needed a few things as well. And she started seeing the total, the money total, keep going up and up and up. Then it hit her. A thing came across her phone. It said, Sydney is asking for a $4 donation. To help feed a kid. To help feed a kid. So they could, or they could, four dollars to help feed a kid or help deworm local kids in Ghana. Or a single t shirt purchase could feed an orphan child for a month. A month. One t shirt for a month. Think about that. 
So as Emily looked at the total cost in her shopping cart on her smartphone and how much money she was spending, she emptied it and decided to buy T-shirts. And then she created this organization kind of in partnership with Sydney, who's 10 years old, called Forget the Frock. Forget the Frock is an organization that points towards nonprofits that help feed orphan kids or help blind kids with, or kids that were troubling with eyesight. A lot of different organizations that Forget the Frock is pointing towards. Jenny and my kids and I have been called for the past three years, and we're called again this year to do this, to buy a T-shirt instead of buying a new Easter outfit. The idea is forget the frock. Don't buy a new outfit for Easter, which is what we did as kids growing up. We bought new outfits every year. Instead, we buy a T-shirt now. $25 a T-shirt. So for us, it's $100. And the point is to wear it on Easter Sunday morning so that we can also celebrate the resurrection of Christ and help those that are hurt, those that are lost and those that are broken in the same vein. We are called to do this, me and my family. You do not, we are not saying you have to do it. If you're not called to do that, don't do it. Check out the website. Read the stories. And if you're called to to purchase a t-shirt, purchase a t-shirt. Wear it on Easter Sunday morning. If not, that's okay. We are called to do this as a family. This is not a mandate for you. You don't have to do it, but we will. Because we feel like God is calling us to do that. To help bring hope to a lost, hurt, and broken world. Maybe one kid at a time. Forgetthefrock.org. This is what we're called to do. You don't have to do it if you're not called to do it. And that's okay. Okay.